Welcome to Mission Life. I'm Jeff. Thank you for listening. On this podcast, I interview people putting their faith into action. They may be serving in another country or right here in Atlanta. Their stories and the lessons they have learned will hopefully inspire and encourage you to live the mission of Jesus wherever you are every day. Today you'll hear part two of an interview with a young woman named Sarah Henderson. Sarah is serving in Antipolo, Philippines with a ministry named Children's Garden. Sarah has a lot of great insight for anyone considering taking a gap year or two to serve before college. She is also encouraging to any parents whose children might be thinking of doing the same thing. Be sure and check out part one of this conversation if you haven't yet. But for now, let's listen in as Sarah continues her story. How has uh, this year impacted how you see the poor, the people you serve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is that people who are in poverty, they need to be seen and mostly they need to be heard. I think that's one of the great things about technology nowadays is that now we can reach the world and see what's going on. And before we didn't have that. And so it's good that we can use social networking to really change the world, that we can connect with people and share that there are people that have still not heard the name of Christ, that they don't know who Jesus is, and it's all over the world, that there are people living off of a dollar a day. There are people dying from diseases that here in the States are not a problem. We get we go to the doctor and we're fine. So the biggest thing that I've learned from the poor is that they they deserve to have a voice and they do, but we also need to walk beside them and be a voice for them. Um, I've also realized that a lot of societies, not only in America but in the Philippines as well, is that we overlook the poor because they're not successful. A lot of people have the mindset that they can't help, but God has shown me that he loves them, that they're no different than anyone else. And in fact, I've learned more from the people this past year than any other social class, any other person. We're still all human, that they're some of the most hardworking, determined, loving people. Um, I can't tell you how many stories of going to serve and people bringing out like saltine crackers or like a can of Coke and that's all they have and they give it to you. They give when they have nothing. And that's so beautiful that instead of holding on to these things that they freely give it in a form of gratitude and form of love. And yeah, that's the biggest thing is that they need to have a voice that I think a lot of times we underestimate the potential of the poor. We'll assign a reason why they're in that situation, especially in America. Mm. But uh, globally, I've seen that sometimes we we look at situations and and we underestimate their potential. One, to change their situation, and two, just um, what, what potential they might have, ideas they might have for their own situation you know yeah so exactly it's really such a cycle of poverty yeah and if i mean 
poverty is everywhere. Poverty yeah. has been an issue thousands of years ago, and it's a huge one now. Yeah. But it's not big enough that the Lord can't change it. Right. And we are the hands and feet of Christ. That we shouldn't underestimate the power that Christ has given us from Him. That right. it's not what we do. But if we change one life at a time, I really believe that. I've seen boys go through our program and receive an education, and from that, they affect their family. And the families are able, from that money, from that education, to then do their livelihood skills. And from there, they have more income. And once again, they're a testament of encouraging families in their community. And I really do... Yeah, just one person at a time. And I feel like Jesus did that, that Jesus always stopped and took a moment. And whenever he talked to someone, that's all that mattered. That's all who he was focused on from the woman who was about to be stoned. That's all he cared about was that woman. He wanted her to know that she is loved and forgiven. And just, yeah, just along the road, it's just so cool to see that God Jesus was not too busy to stop. Jesus was not too busy to stop and really help people to be intentional. And I just love that about him, that he did have a busy life, but it didn't affect him stopping and him really taking time out. What do you see, though, in terms of the perspective that outsiders sometimes come in? Because you've seen mission teams, you've seen people come from New Zealand and other countries. What are some of the perceptions that you notice and, and do those change once yeah. they go there? Yeah, um, one perception that outsiders, not only from America, from but from any country, is that the issue is too big to fix it. That like you said, it's a drop in a bucket. Like that one person is not gonna affect someone. And so it's beautiful to see them hear testimonies of boys that have done that. And you kind of see like just a little switch in their brain that's like, oh, yeah, like you can change the world by one person at a time. And also, um, a big one is a ton of people, whether it was on Facebook or emails or even in person, asked me, why are girls running away? Or why do the boys sometimes run away? And I think um, we, as Americans and other people in different countries, have a perception of like the arms of the angel video and so that's for animals and you see like or like for ten dollars a day you can save this kid and the kid's about to die and i think just through social networking that's our perception of the poor that they're in the arms of an angel like sad music in the background but they don't realize that these people are survivors that these kids on the street they know how to live on the street but it also requires a lot of darkness and sin that these teenagers can live by stealing they can be protected by being in a gang they can sell their bodies but it's not the life that god wants for them and it's not the life that they deserve um so i think that's the biggest thing is that we need to change our mindset that they are not cold and lonely and in the rain but they're survivors and that they can live but it's not the life that god wants for them and so we want to change that we want their perspective to be less on the i need to survive today and to transition to the future 
to show them, no, like if you go this route, you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't sell your body, but you focus on school, your life will be different 10 years from now. So that's the biggest misconception is that they're not poor, lonely in the rain with a little like orchestra in the background, a sad <laughs> violin, but uh-huh. they're survivors. Yeah, they have learned to survive. And, uh, but in your experience, it's interesting, as, as dramatic as their life is and, and what it takes to survive in their environment, you talk about all the things they get caught up in, that it's actually hard for them to break away from that. Now, we would think, hey, we're offering a nice home, we're offering you programs, we're offering you an opportunity, a better life. What, what have you found uh, that relates to that? You know, what, what, is it, what, have you, what do you think makes it so difficult? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the reason is because they don't trust it, because they're comfortable where they are, because these teenagers' parents were in poverty, were poor. And then the parents' parents were poor, the great-grandparents, like the whole cycle, their entire family has been poor. They've never known someone personally to graduate elementary school or even college. They don't know that. And I think the devil definitely has a grip on their mindset that he's like, no, you can never, you can never reach that. Stay where you are. Like, you can't go to elementary school. And like, haha, you think you can do college? But seeing the boys kind of let go of that poor self-esteem, of those bad negative thoughts, and girls, and see them be like, I can do this. Like, through the Lord, I can do this. And that's the biggest thing is they're comfortable where they are because they're scared, because they've never known someone to reach that point. Do you have any stories, an example of a child, maybe it's in the boys' home, um, that has gone through this process and has come out on the other side and maybe even has come back to do ministry with you all? Do you have a story like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of our house parents, his name is E.L. Um, E.L. and his wife, Joy, they live at the boys' home. And E.L. was a part of the Children's Garden program, and now he's a house parent. Now they have a daughter, and now they're serving as house parents. They're leading the devotionals. They're loving and serving. And that's so cool to see because he has a perspective that no other staff has because he knows what it's like to be a boy. So that's a really cool. He's an amazing man of God. It's really cool to see his life. Um, One of our big ministry connectors, his name is Mark. And he was a children's garden boy. And through that, he had a heart to serve other street kids. And so now he does weekly outreaches with them. And he knows so many street kids. He'll come up to us and be like, I know this girl. I know this boy. This is their story. They're ready to come. And he helps us transfer these kids. Um, There's also a boy named Paulo. He came from a very, very abusive background. He was even sold into slavery and by his mom for drugs. And he went through the children's garden program. It was hard. He was a very hard boy to handle. But now he's redeemed. Now he's a chef. He has his license. Now he's working. He's forgiven those people that have abused him. 
And so it's it's such an encouragement because the day in, day out of ministry, you don't see that. And for me, this past year, right before I left the Philippines, I took a time out and I just looked at the boys and girls and I saw not only them growing, but they built character. But in the day in, day out of ministry, you just see them make small good decisions. And it's like, okay, well, good job. Okay, good job. But then a year later, those good decisions built character. Those small God moments for them created strong, bold faith that they can stand upon. And that's the biggest thing. It's encouraging because the day in and day out is hard. But these stories of boys that have made it, that one of our girls is now going through college, is such an encouragement to keep going, to keep serving. But tell us about the, the actual situation of most of the kids that you encounter and how do they even get into a children's garden? Because you, you don't just throw <laughs> open the doors and they'll come. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a, a process. Yeah. So most of our boys and girls do have parents. Um, we have a few boys that are orphans, but the majority have parents. However, most of the dads are not in the picture at all. Um Honestly, I don't know where they go. I think a lot of times what happens is dads move from families to families, and at the end of their life, they'll have 15 different families, and they're just not men of God. They're just not father figures. Um, They don't provide for their families. A lot of times they're stuck in drugs. And then what happens too, a lot of the families that our boys and girls come from, the moms get so overwhelmed with being a single parent that then they get into those things. They get into prostitution. They get into drug use. And they're in poverty. They can't provide for their kids. Um, So what happens is most of the boys and girls that we admit and process into our homes, they come from the outreaches that we work with. Um, And also we partner with the government. We work with them in getting kids out of their government shelter and have them live with our nonprofit, with our home. And so the main ones are through our outreaches. Pastors, we know a lot of incredible pastors around the Philippines that are, and constantly pastors are so passionate, and they're like, we have this kid, take him in. It's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> but they're an awesome connection. Um, they know these families, they know the background, and then they, it helps us, it helps us process the kids. That's good. It's good to know you're, you're getting some support from local churches and involvement. At least they know about you. Um, being you know, at the stage of life that you're at, you know, uh, young, adventurous, willing to, to do things like this, but it's, it's also been a challenge for you. And I know sometimes churches are good at sending people out, and we celebrate when we send people out, but it's the ongoing support that means a lot. And, and uh, I know we're, as a church we're trying to do better with that. What would you say has been helpful to you in your first year there in terms of support from back home? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, this past year, just to say it, I have been very overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and astonished at how much I have been supported. Um, It's easy for missionaries, if you're gone a full year, to kind of not hear from people. And sometimes you have a weird feeling that you're kind of, forgotten, which isn't true, but 
but it's just a weird I just think the devil tries to slip in and be like oh you're fine like no they don't care things like that but just moments that the church would send Christmas letters that was very sweet that was a very nice surprise emails text messages um one of the biggest coolest moments was um one day we had a girl run away and I was very close to this girl and it was a big heartbreak um I always get my heart broken it's a very hard ministry and that happened and um I was sitting in my bed just thinking like okay Lord like you gave us this vision and this passion I need to hear you Lord like I need to know why this happened and then somebody knocked at our door so I went downstairs and opened the door and it was a guy on a motorcycle and I was really curious hello like in Tagalog like what do you need why are you here and he said I'm from the post office and I was very confused because in the Philippines post office like mailmen don't go door to door if anything they'll send you like a piece of note like go into our office located in the city and pick up your package and he looked at me and he said are you Sarah Henderson and I said yes and he handed me a small envelope and I was like oh and he goes it's been in our office for a long time and we went ahead and delivered it to you because we didn't think you knew Mm -hmm. so I was like oh wow that's really cool and I looked at the envelope and it said DBC Dunwoody Baptist Church and accessory prayer team and I was like this is incredible so I went upstairs and sat on my bed and read it and was so overwhelmed by the letter that the prayer team had written. I don't know how far back they had written it or anything, but the day that I read it, after one of the girls left, the letter, it was spot on to the situation that just happened. The prayer team said that they sensed that the Spirit said that they needed to pray for me, that they needed to encourage me to keep going, and they just constantly wrote lots of scripture that just kept me going and that was the biggest moment of being like wow god like you still like you still have people supporting and praying for me in the states and that's the biggest blessing that kept me going through the hard times wow that's a that's a wonderful story we don't often hear uh the stories of how our prayers are either answered or received and uh that's a wonderful one thanks for thank you for sharing that um how has this year impacted your understanding of being on mission with Christ? We use that term a lot, on mission, you know, and we have certain perceptions. Sometimes that means to people, you know, I'm going on a mission trip, you know, now I'm on mission, but the rest of the week I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm working or whatever at my office. How has that, how has this impacted your view of being a missionary or being on mission? Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is dependency on Christ that I've learned this past year. I learned a piece of that when I was in Africa. I was sick and in a hospital and I realized that I'm human and I'm weak, but I really learned that this past year. Um, This past year was a roller coaster. We faced a lot of trials, obstacles, and I realized how much I do fall short. 
how much patience I have falls short, how much grace, forgiveness, and the Lord constantly would just knock me on the knees in prayer and just, I just fall on my knees and be like, God, I can't do this by myself. I'm human and I need you because what I do does not have a lasting impact, but it's what you do through me. And so this past year, I've had to have a lot of moments with God being like, here's my life and use it. I want to glorify you and to constantly depend on him, depend on him for wisdom, for strength. And it's not, I mean, it's super easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's very hard to be in that spot of not being able to do it on your own. Um, As an American, we're independent. Um, I like to know, just like you said, we plan our futures, and I like to know that. But being on the mission field, the Lord definitely, it's a day by day, the Lord always reminds you that it's not about you or your strength. And just like in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, talks about, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Which is so true that being weak is a beautiful thing, that when we are weak, it also helps us acknowledge that we can't do it on our own, and that we need the Lord. And that's when God steps in and shows us what he can do through us. You mentioned uh, power made perfect in weaknesses. Mm-hmm. What has this first year taught you about yourself? Strengths, weaknesses? Um, I think one of um, my weaknesses is not admitting that I'm weak, which is a weird weakness to have, but it's a weakness of wanting to do things on my own, but constantly being reminded that that, that does not glorify Christ. And if anything, it's glorifying to be humble, to lay before him and bow down and be like, okay, God, I I need you, and here I am, and you can use me. Um, You learn a lot of weaknesses on the mission field, living in a third world country. You see just how much you can't do on your own, but I think you learn a lot through that. Um, I think one of my strengths um, is my heart for these kids for these teenagers every morning I wake up just wanting to serve them wanting to walk beside them and see the Lord change their lives Um, wanting to love them wanting a better life for them so I would say that's my passion I think is my strength that I just this is what I live for I want them to have a future I want them to see what God intended their life to be Let's, let's imagine someone listening to this podcast, maybe in a similar situation, maybe graduating high school, maybe uh, trying to figure out where they go in life, maybe feeling a call to do global missions somewhere in another country or here in the States. Um, what, do you, what, would you give, what advice would you give them if they're considering cross-cultural service mm-hmm. like this? Honestly, the biggest thing is pray. Because the more we pray, um, I think it starts as a habit anything from reading the Word of God to praying. We just need to be um, really focused. We need to be very diligent in doing that. And before we know it, we turn around and we're 
it's just a part of our life and that's the beautiful thing is that when we wake up before we start anything you're talking to the Lord not necessarily a step-by-step prayer but just talking to him talking to him in the car and when we do those things we're more sensitive to God's spirit I remember um, just in high school my end of my senior year just having a weird feeling that college in that moment was not right and I know that was the spirit leading me towards the nine-month trip which changed my life and so just being open to it um yeah just being open and vulnerable to letting the Lord use you um the biggest thing I've learned is that my plan a few years back I had like a five-year plan let's go to Clemson University degree in this da 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 but I look back and I see that God had far greater plans that the joy that I've had the past three years have been greater than anything that I've seen miracles I've seen people's lives change and it's worth it so my biggest recommendation for people interested in missions is to pray and do it is just jump into the waters and just follow the Lord because he's with us he's gone before us and it's so fulfilling um it's just such a great life it's amazing to see God do incredible things and to watch that firsthand yeah, and be open. Uh, there may be a time when you come back and go back to school. You know, you may go to yeah. Clemson one day. Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. But to be open and uh, and be responsive, be faithful. Now, I'm sure that the Filipinos they see you as an American. You're walking around blonde hair, you know, <laughs> yeah, blonde skin, and uh, they have questions. What questions do you get asked from the Filipinos about America, about your life here, about Americans? Do they have certain perceptions that you run into mm, <laughs> that, that yeah. may not be accurate about America? <laughs> yeah, um, the biggest thing is America is very idolized. Um, I mean, the movies that we produce from America, like the nice picket fence country, the everything, other countries, especially third world, just see that. And I think we need to be grateful for that. I've realized how blessed I am to be born and raised in America and also the opportunities we have. And they see, yeah, they just have an idolized picture that I sometimes have to talk to them and say, no, we're not perfect. Like, we're going through a lot of things and we need God just as much as this country needs God. Both of our governments have their moments of being corrupt, their moments of issues, but at the end of the day that God's in control of both countries. I can imagine there might be moments uh, in talking with people back here at home where they say, well, that's great, Sarah, what you're doing, and that's mm-hmm. wonderful. Now, when are you going to get back to college? When are you going to get, I don't know if, they, if this is the right way to put it, I don't want to judge, but get, kind of get back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Am I, am I imagining that? Is that something you've experienced? Maybe other missionaries you know have experienced that. How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you respond in that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually experienced that. I'm on month two of my furlough. I'll be heading back in August. And I've had people be like, okay, Sarah, what's going on? Like, you were only supposed to be gone a nine-month mission trip, and you keep going. Like, you need to go to college. You need to get a job. 
and it's just perspective it's just encouraging them with grace like having grace and be like it's the Lord like I really do feel like the Lord has called me there and do I want to go to college yes absolutely I'm really praying about that now going through nursing school Um, however I encourage them to know that there's more there's more to the American dream Um, there's more the Lord does in fact work through people who are living towards the American dream there's God is still in that picture but there's also more Um, just like the 12 disciples that Jesus said go go and serve and that's not just in the Bible that's not just a long time ago that's now and God calls all of us and is it internationally maybe is it not maybe but we need to be open to that and so when people always ask when are you getting back on track I say I am I say it's just different I say that it's the Lord's calling and if he calls me back then great and if I'm in the Philippines the rest of my life great but it's just being in a place of surrender just being in a place of okay, Lord, here's my life, and I want to glorify you. This is the track I'm on. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's interesting, but it's good. And you can kind of see their perspective change a little. They're in their head like, okay, maybe there are different ways to live life. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Now, this might be a silly question. I have a little fun with you here, but uh, having traveled... (laughs) <laughs> myself in different countries. I know mm-hmm. I always send photos to my kids of what I'm eating. Like, oh. <laughs> if, I'm <laughs> eating really? if I'm eating something strange, yeah. I'll, I'll text them a photo and they, <laughs> they get a kick out of it. That's so funny. I got to ask, uh, in your experience there, what's maybe the strangest thing you've ever eaten? I would say the hardest thing and the weirdest thing was balut. Balut. Okay. So balut, it's a fertilized duck egg. It's a Filipino delicacy. So it's like an egg, a big egg, and it's boiled. And then when you crack it open, it's like a half-born duck. It's not like super ready. It's not super (laughs) crunchy, but it's not like scrambled eggs. Okay. So in 2012, the boys always pressure teams. Whenever teams come to eat it, I didn't eat it. Only the boys on my team did. Then after a year, teams would come and go through Children's Garden. I would see some of them eat it, but I'd be very quiet. Don't say anything. Don't bring attention. (laughs) And then finally, right before I left, I said, okay, I'll do it. I need to get it over with. And I did. And it was the hardest thing. It's very mental. Yeah. And you gag the whole time. Like some, <laughs> it was with the whole staff and they're videotaping me and it's just. They're getting a kick here. out of it. Exactly. <laughs> and I did it. It's a one-time deal. I told them. Um, <laughs> so I did it. It's over with. But I'd say that's the weirdest thing I've eaten. And you probably became a little more Filipino at that moment. I did. <laughs> you really do. Yeah. They do respect you for doing that, for really being open to their culture and language. Yeah, and giving it a try and making the effort. Yeah. yeah. Well, we love you, Sarah. And we love what you're doing. And it's obvious that God has a call in your life. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Sarah. 
She shared a lot of fantastic insights into ministry, culture, and things to consider if you or someone you know is planning on taking a gap year to serve cross-culturally. Be sure and check out Children's Garden of the Philippines on Facebook, or send this podcast to anyone you know who might benefit. We'd also love your comments on this podcast, so check us out on iTunes, give us any suggestions or ideas for topics that you would like to hear. Thank you for listening to Mission Life. It's our hope that these stories can help us all live the mission of Jesus every day.